just been discharged. It's Nescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo library with a few pit stops along the way. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them. That's pretty much all you need to know. I am Steampunk Link. I am Emmy Zero. And today we've got all sorts of things that are actually other things in disguise. We've got a fighting game that is actually a Ranma game, and we've got a, a, a Mad Max game that's not a Mad Max game anymore. We've got a Super Ninja Boy game that's actually a super Chinese game, though that one's not really... That's just what it is, really, so... More or less a pretty standard localization on that one, I guess, but uh, but for the, the sake of fitting everything into a clumsy theme, uh, that's what we're talking about today. Games that are other things. <laughs> Yeah, this is still April uh, 1993. We've got three games to talk about today that are... I don't know that they're they're terribly well-remembered, but uh, I think I'm going to remember them after this, for sure. We'll get into it. I, I think we've got some pretty different opinions on some of these games today and that, that ought to make this interesting. So, um, so, yeah, but today we are going to be talking about Super Ninja Boy. We're going to be talking about Outlander, and we're going to be talking about Street Combat. And uh, we're going to be starting with Super Ninja Boy today because uh, we're going to do a deep dive into the company that made it, because I don't think we've done that yet. So, so yeah, I guess uh, without uh, further ado, unless you had anything else uh, you wanted to say to kick this one off. I really don't. So let's uh, let's go ahead and get into it. talk about some super ninja boy and let's talk about some culture brain um so we might have briefly mentioned them back when we talked about super baseball simulator 1000 but this is a strange company whose entire history just feels like schoolyard rumors their history is not very well documented anywhere some of it sounds really weird and i i feel like i need more sources before I can definitively say, yeah, that's totally a thing, I believe. Uh, and even the, the company's fate is a little bit up in the air. They might still be in business, but uh, their website has not been updated since 2017, which according to a 2016 article on JapaneseNintendo.com was supposed to be the year that they unveiled their new logo to go along with their new name, which was Culture Brain Excel. This new name and logo were meant to indicate a shift toward designing games for younger children and the elderly. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves there. So even when the company was founded, it's a little bit hard to parse. Um, it was founded in 1980, and it, it seems that the company might have originally been named Nihon Games, although it might have also had the name Taiyo System at some point, and Moby Games also lists a development brand called Micro Academy. Who can say? E even their name is not well-defined. <laughs> what does seem pretty clear is that by 1987, they were using the Culture Brain name. Uh, that name actually might have come from their American division, which used the Culture Brain name first, and that they just kind of adopted from that. Moby Games lists their first game as the arcade game Chinese Hero in 1984. Uh, it's a co-op game where players take on the roles of a pair of monks fighting from a top-down perspective. However, Giant Bomb's wiki claims that their first game might have actually been Donkey Kong. And if that made you say, I'm sorry, what? Uh, yeah, that was my reaction as well. According to the Giant Bomb Wiki, that information comes from something called the Insider's Guide to the World Nintendo Championships. 
What is that? I tracked it down. It was a small pamphlet that was given out to attendees at the 1990 World Nintendo Championships, which talked a lot about Nintendo's history and the history of a lot of companies that were releasing games on the system. It seems to have a lot of uh, Nintendo Power connections. Gail Tilden was mentioned in the masthead, for one thing, who was the EIC of Nintendo Power at the time. There is a section for Culture Brain, and there is a little blurb off to the side crediting them with helping Nintendo create Donkey Kong, the original arcade Donkey Kong. I don't know what that means. My only guess is that maybe the company that Nintendo contracted out to actually create the original Donkey Kong arcade game, you know, based on their the the ideas that they had come up with internally, the company that would end up um, suing them over Donkey Kong Jr., ironically enough, maybe they subcontracted out to the company that would become Culture Brain, but... That is pure speculation on my part. I really don't know. Pamphlet also mentions a space shooter called Monster Zero, which came out in 1982. Uh, not only did Moby Games not mention that in Culture Brain's gameography, but that game is not in their database at all. The only two screenshots I could find of the game came from the giant bomb wiki entry of Monster Zero. The company released a few other arcade games, like 1985's Shanghai Kid, an early one-on-one fighting game, which is notable for being the first uh, in Culture Brain's Hiryu no Ken, or Flying Dragon series. It's also notable for being the first one-on-one fighting game to include the ability to execute combination attacks. From reading about it, it sounds pretty similar to the original Street Fighter, despite coming out two years before Capcom's Freshman Fighter. So That is very impressive. That's interestingly forward-thinking. Of culture brain. Um, it is really weird that this company that seems to have really been at the forefront of a lot of things and like a lot of big things in the video game industry is just kind of relegated to having their history sparsely scattered across the internet. If, you know, half of this is true, I guess, you know, I mean, take any of this with a grain of salt, right? I mean, I I think I've got an answer for why that might be the case, but uh, we'll wait until we actually get to the game itself to talk about that a little bit. So Culture Brain these days is probably best known for its handful of NES games that gained a good amount of buzz back in the day, which include Flying Dragons, The Magic of Scheherazade, and Little Ninja Brothers, a.k.a. Super Chinese 2. They also created the Baseball Simulator 1000 series, like we said before. And after their moderate success on the NES and Super NES, Culture Brain just kind of fell off the map, at least as far as American gaming is concerned. Like a lot of Japanese companies, they pulled up their American roots by the close of the 90s, uh, but they kept producing games in Japan, mostly handheld games, GBA and the like, for pretty young audiences, uh, very few of which ever made it stateside. Didn't they have a whole series of games about, like, raising ferrets? That seems right. I did see like a lot of pet related games um, in their gameography, so that that wouldn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. Some sources claim they even founded their very own vocational school in Japan in 2003, but I have no idea how long that might have lasted. Even the founder of the company is something of a question mark. The (laughs) company was founded by Yukio Tanaka, but... Uh, It seems that he has had many aliases over the years. It's not even known for sure if that's his real name. Uh, The name he seems to be using these days is Yumenosuke Academia. Like, literally like the word academia. Even spelled with a C, which you wouldn't do in Japanese. Interesting. He's like the ODB of... uh... Of of Japanese game company presidents. (laughs) Yeah, or the P. Diddy. Hopefully he's a better person than that. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, Anyway, that brings us back to where we are today uh, with the company's fate kind of being a mystery. They haven't produced anything. 
um, here or in their home country since 2017, when they were supposedly on the cusp of announcing their new brand. Curiously, one of the last things attributed to the company were a series of SNES carts released in 2017. Yep. Physical SNES cartridges released in 2017 that um, feature compilations of some of their 16-bit games. So a company called Retrobit has actually been releasing compilation carts for a variety of old publishers. Aside from three Culture Brain carts, they have released carts for Jalico, Data East, and Athena. Those do all feel like they're kind of in a similar bracket, too, so that makes sense. Mid-tier Japanese game developers that sort of faded out at, towards the end of the 90s, basically. Stuff that's worth re-releasing, but also probably not horribly unattainable. Yeah, right. So, yeah, that is um, that is the very strange history of Culture Brain that I could sort of cobble together. Again, take all this with a grain of salt, because a lot of things that I found like weren't corroborated by a lot of the other sources that I found out there. I could not find any footage of Monster Zero, the the arcade game that was uh, their supposedly their first uh, release. Um, and there is no other information about what kind of relationship they had to Donkey Kong outside of that pamphlet that got released to a few people at the Nintendo World Championship. That's so weird. I had never heard that before. That's fascinating. Yeah. Again, this is just speculation on my part, but like maybe that information came from Japan and the localization team got some wires crossed when translating it all. <laughs> And it's not even true. Who knows? I could see that. Yeah. Interesting, though, that it was that it's out there. And I feel like I've never seen anybody try to, like, pull at that thread and investigate it because I feel like it's always worth wondering, you know, who exactly made really famous early video games. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the fact that like Nintendo did go to an outside company to basically do a lot of the programming work on Donkey Kong, it just kind of goes to show you too, you know, how like there's just all of these people responsible for video games whose names we will probably never even know. Yeah, it's really true. Um, but, you know, we will probably talk more about Donkey Kong. We may even talk more about that lawsuit and everything else um, around Donkey Kong when we get to Donkey Kong Country. There is so much we could talk about with Donkey Kong Country. I don't know if we'll actually get to it, but we will try. <laughs> well, for now, let's talk about Super Ninja Boy. a game in the uh, basically in the super chinese series which has its roots in the uh, chinese hero game uh, that early culture brain arcade game so this is an rpg in which in, instead of uh, random encounters resulting in a turn-based battle the perspective switches to a belt scroller in which you and a friend if you want to play co-op are just beating up the enemies like you would in a brawler. It's an interesting idea, this weird combination of, like, Dragon Quest and Zelda 2 in some ways. Yeah, the, I think the philosophy of this game is very Zelda 2, but it's not nearly as functional a game as that one is. Yeah, so this is what I was going to say, that I think that, like, this game has interesting ideas, and you, you know, you like you were talking about with the other sort of pioneering games that Culture Brain came out with. Uh, the ideas are interesting, but just judging from this game, I don't feel like the technical know-how was there to really execute on those ideas, because this is a pretty rough game in a lot of ways. 
right out of the gate, like the story is is very simple. The way it was localized, it, it feels almost like it was geared towards a very young audience. It's, it's very, very hard to, I don't know, take this premise seriously, even as like a very goofy fictional world, you know, uh, just because partially just because of the way it's localized, honestly. The way the characters talk, it almost feels like nobody's taking this seriously. Wait, they, they were just talking about peace and now there's trouble? <laughs> um, you got these... You know, I guess two ninja ninja fellas, but you only see one unless you're playing co-op, uh, which you can play a co-op in this, which is, I guess, worth noting. They're, you know, out to to save uh, China land, which is the, the nation they live in, from mysterious forces that have descended upon them from space. I feel like the tone here is like it's it's almost a little bit like the Legend of the Mystical Ninja, but without the actual sense of of like comedy or the fun like uh, dynamic uh, gag manga personality that those games have. So like it just kind of sits there a little bit, you know. And this game gets even more modular than this too, because uh, from what I have read, I did not get that far in the game. Uh, there are traditional. RPG style battles, mostly with monsters that are too big to fit into the context of a brawler, I guess. You're talking about like like turn-based battles, right? Just just to clarify further what exactly that means here. We mean kind of like the Dragon Quest Final Fantasy-ish sort of, you know, thing you think of when you think of like a 16-bit JRPG. Yes, yeah, exactly. Thank you. There is that. There are also some platforming sections, one of which I did get to. And up to that point, I was willing to say, like, okay, this game has some pretty serious shortcomings, but I could see myself plowing through this, especially if I had a friend with me doing this with me. Like, I could almost see us wanting to go through and be like, let's just do a Twitch stream of the two of us playing this. Then when I got to the platforming sections, uh, so imagine you're playing Super Mario Brothers, and every time you die, you have to go back to the last time you 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 saved basically which when that was happening with me wasn't a huge deal like i saved right before i started the sequence but i did have to go through the intro dialogue where they're talking to master rick and he's telling them that they have to go through the trials and that was really obnoxious and death can come just from falling in a pit like you've got hp that gives you a pretty good cushion when it comes to getting hit by enemies but if you fall in a pit you're just dead yeah, I feel like these platforming sections should absolutely have different rules than the the other parts of this game because that's a terrible way to have to to deal with, you know, dying in this kind of thing. Like you should really just restart at the start of the section cuz otherwise, yeah, it's just it horribly tedious. And also, given how this game's action sequences play, they're very choppy they do not feel good to play i cannot imagine because i didn't get to the platforming section i cannot imagine the platforming like feels good to do and i bet that if like they try to demand too much precision from you in that it gets very tricky very fast oh and they do demand some precision from you for some of these jumps for one thing uh you have to take some of the jumps from a running start which i did not realize running was a thing until i looked up a fact for it Ooh, that's not good yeah you have to hold down the punch button in order to do the the run and then jump i managed to get through the the earth temple which was the first stage i guess the stages were pretty short for which was good because you know just for how demanding they were but then i went to the water temple where my jump was more floaty because i, I think i was meant to be underwater though it was hard to tell like it almost looks like i was 
doing all of this in front of a waterfall and there's like a water texture that's moving across the screen that brought this already choppy game just just really slowed it down even more. Like imagine that choppy frame rate in a water level where, you know, you, you've you've got way more buoyancy and everything is just slowed down on purpose because you're underwater. Oh, no thanks. It, it's a real shame because I do like the idea here. I like the idea of an RPG in which you are just, you know, taken to a, a, a brawling stage instead of being forced to do a turn-based um, uh-huh. combat. I think it's neat. I am sad that this works so poorly and that nobody picked up this idea and, and ran with it. I don't think we're going to see anything else like this on the system. Yeah, I don't know of anything else like this. Definitely not on the Super Nintendo. I do feel like, you know, this could be kind of fun uh, teaming up with another person. I would not recommend playing this one player. But I, I think, you know, having someone doing it with you would probably cause it to feel a little less tedious and, and a little bit more fun. But it just feels like a bit of a missed opportunity. It definitely does. I'm also curious about this. Did you feel like any of the RPG elements, like uh, being able to buy weapons in towns or leveling up your character by, by getting experience points, did you feel like any of that actually fed back into the brawler sections and made you stronger in those. No, not even a little bit. That's a problem, too. Yeah, I didn't even buy any of the weapons or armor or anything from the first town in the game, and I was just, like, completely slaughtering everything in my path. Granted, I, I did play the game on easy mode, so maybe that had something to do with it, too. It's a neat idea to combine all these components. Like, we've got an RPG, a brawler, a platform game, and, you know, an actual RPG combat system, it sounds like. But, like... Speaking for the elements that I experienced, you know, the the top-down RPG exploration part uh, is really basic-looking. The graphics in that are, like, really not attractive. Music's not great. Uh, story is not really enough of a factor to pull you through it. Those are all kind of bare minimum, you know, acceptable RPG stuff. And then you have the brawler parts, which are really choppy and don't feel fun to play. I admire the effort, but I would need the actual like execution to be better than this, to be able to really give it a lot of credit for that. Yeah. There's also the fact that I, I felt like I was getting into a fight almost every three steps. Yeah. The encounter rate is super high. Yeah. And, and the other thing there also is that like, you know, yes, the the encounter rate in, in RPGs of this vintage can be very high, but also a lot of the, like, random encounter turn-based battles in, say, a Dragon Quest or, or a Final Fantasy, they move very quickly. Like, especially for the Super Nintendo games, they move extremely quickly. So, you know, you kind of churn through them, and there's not... It, it doesn't feel like you're just moving at, like, a snail's pace, but because of the brawler sequences actually taking a little bit of time to do, it really does feel like you move through this game very slowly. Yeah, maybe having fewer brawler stages, but the brawler areas that are there, you know, just have more enemies. So you kind of get more of that done in one go. I think that would be fun. Or they could have actually done the thing that Zelda 2 did and have icons for the enemies on the map so that, you know, you have a little bit more control over when 
you're forced into these encounters, that could have helped too. I, I will say they do give you the option to run from encounters before you start the battle. They do. That's true. I don't know if there's any penalty for doing that because I never bothered doing it, but um, I probably should have tested that out. Uh, I did it a couple of times and it didn't really seem to do uh, give me a penalty. So that that's a good thing. appreciate that they were trying to do something a little more interesting than, you know, just like a very low effort Dragon Quest copy here. But yeah, I don't really like the way that any of this works. I think I could probably stomach trying to get through this game just to kind of see what else it's got going for it. As long as those platforming sections are not a common thing, like if that's something that happens in almost every town, I think that would cause me to to just completely say no, not even just to see this game all the way through. Is it worth it to go through this? Um, but as long as that is not an issue, if you're really starved for 16-bit RPGs and you have a friend who could play this with you, I would say, you know, like, give it a try. See how it works for you. I I, I don't think it that this is horrible with the exception of those platforming areas, but... It doesn't do anything super great on a system that already has some great brawlers and some great RPGs. I don't know if I need a game that combines those two things and doesn't do either of them nearly as well. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I don't really have anything else to say about it. Do you? Uh, do you have anything else to say, or do you? Do you think we should just head on over to the list? I think we can head over to the list. I wish I could rank this one higher because I, I really do respect what they're trying to do here, but it, it just ain't great. Um, I don't know, what would be a good place to start for this one, you think? Like, maybe another um, kind of middling RPG, like Arcana, maybe, at number 72? I guess. I would probably put this a lot lower than Arcana, just because I don't I don't think it's nearly as, like, well... Even though I think Arcana is, like, pretty annoying and, and drab in some ways, I just think it's better put together than this. Okay, where, where would you start? I would start a lot lower. It's not an RPG, but I would probably go down to James Bond Jr. at 106 to start ranking this. Oh, wow. Just because I feel like that is a game that does a similar thing with having very modular sections where I don't really like either of them very much, but I think they're, you know, the individual parts are sort of competently put together. Um, I'm guessing you are gonna, you're, you're gonna push for this to go higher. Where would you start ranking this? I'm curious about that. Well, I, I would definitely say this is higher than James Bond Jr. Because I, I don't think that the, the modular nature of James Bond Jr., that those things really feed into each other in any meaningful way. I think they could have done a better job with that in Super Ninja Boy as well. But I do see, you know, like, I level up in here, so now I've got more health, or I, I have money that I can spend in towns now. Yeah, sure. I would say, hmm... I don't know, I guess I probably wouldn't go up too much further. Um, Did you have a game in your head for a comparison point to this? Uh, was It was Arcana, I guess, right? Yeah, but I, I can definitely see what you're saying. Like, I, I'm looking at, like, number 100, which is Raiden Trad right now. I probably wouldn't put this above Raiden Trad. I might put it above Dragon's Lair, though. Yeah, I think that's fair. Dragon's Lair is a pretty rough game that I don't think has nearly as much sort of ambition behind it as this as this one. Now that I'm looking at this again, I might actually put this above Gods at number 99. 
I think Gods is a pretty messy game. Gods is a messy game, and I probably would go back to this uh, instead of Gods. Like, I think that I enjoyed playing this more than I enjoyed playing Gods, for sure. That might be as high as I would go. Unless you think it goes above power moves, I definitely don't think this goes above Super Conflict at 97. Mm, No, I think power moves is probably a good ceiling for it i wouldn't put it above that personally even though power moves is like not a great game i just think it it works better for what it is than than this does in in a lot of ways so this is gonna be a top 100 game then new number 99 uh congrats i guess with uh that out of the way it is time to move on to uh oh i don't know how about uh how about we visit the old Australian outback? I hear it's great this time of year. Oh uh, yeah, those uh, those 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 crazy Aussies with uh, with their their exploding cars and many many roadblocks. Uh, let's uh, let's do it. Yeah. Yes. Who's who's putting out all these roadblocks in the middle of the apocalypse? That's what I want to know. I'm really curious about that. Yeah. We are talking about Outlander. Um, so this is uh, a game by Mindscape, who we talked about back in our, I believe, our Chester Cheetah episode. Yes, I think that's right. So this is another game that is kind of modular, kind of has these these two different modes of play. I guess I should probably start out by saying this was meant to be a, a Mad Max game. Specifically, this was meant to be... Uh, a game called The Road Warrior, because uh, Mindscape had already made a Mad Max game on the NES. This was essentially going to be the sequel to that, but mm. they lost the rights in the middle of making the game and decided to put it out anyway as Outlander. And there's basically nothing done to try to make it look less like a Mad Max game. Like, I guess the guy in it doesn't look like uh, Mel Gibson, but I think you could look at this and just be like, oh yeah, that's Mad Max. Like, it's got the car, it's got the whole aesthetic, everything you do in it is is really, really clearly just here. here is a Mad Max 16-bit action game. It is not subtle at all, and yet, simply by changing the title, they did not have to worry about copyright in the slightest, apparently. That's incredible that that's how that works. But uh, yeah, here it is. So like you said, it's a pretty uh, modular game. Uh, It's got really two different main modes. One of them is a vehicular action game where you are are riding down a road in a very kind of like top gear sort of behind the car perspective. The road is changing elevation and uh, you've got to both avoid objects on the road. In this case, a lot of barriers, uh, you know, wooden barriers that have been placed on the road and also enemies. There's guys on motorcycles that will come in and try to attack you. You've got a gun on the front of the car and the ability to shoot a shotgun out the window at them when they come up beside you. Yeah, and I just want to say that when they come up to the side of you, you get like a, a quick look at your side window with the shotgun pointing out. Like just hitting L and R to just blow those guys off their motorcycle is really freaking satisfying. It's really cool. It's probably like my favorite thing in this game is that bit. You go through stages where you're heading down this very, very long highway in the middle of a sort of post-apocalyptic desert. And eventually, the car will run out of gas, essentially, right? What's meant to happen is the car will start to make a noise signaling that you're at a town. Why is that in there? Why isn't there just a sign telling you that there's a town? Or why doesn't the game just stop and say, hey, you made it to the town? I don't know. But when your car starts doing that, you pull off the road so that you can go to the town and get supplies. If you run out of gas, then you will just 
automatically initiate an on-foot segment where you're just on the road fighting enemies and trying to get supplies directly from them so you can keep going. There are some things about this game that I think are a little bit weird, like the fact that there aren't just signs indicating where the town is, you know, so that makes it less obvious what you're supposed to do. Like, I had to read a fact to find out, oh, I'm supposed to pull off the road when the car is making that noise, apparently. But yeah, when you're at a town, you just kind of walk to the right using your shotgun or your fists, mostly your fists, because you don't want to waste ammo to fight enemies who will drop food and water that will replenish your health, gas cans that will give you more fuel for your car, more ammo for your little minigun that's mounted on the front of your car, and more shotgun ammo. Uh, later on, you get other things like uh, a Geiger counter, which will let you identify poisoned food, which becomes a thing later on in the game. Yee, okay. Don't want to get those rads. This ain't Fallout, folks. You're not going to grow an arm out of the middle of your stomach and have a cool extra power from that. You're just going to die. Yeah, also later on in the game, uh, helicopters become a problem, but you can pick up surface-to-air missiles to take care of them. I watched a long play of this. It took about three hours. The game is pretty much just this. Fight guys on motorcycles and, oca- and occasionally helicopters. Stop at a town. Fight guys who walk up and punch you and ladies who shoot shotguns at you get stuff off of them, get back in your car, keep going. You just keep doing that until you get to a boss at the very end of the game in one of the on-foot sections, and then the game is just over. Not a lot of variety. I will say that's a really long game for this, for this concept. Like, I feel like I'm guessing most people, even if they enjoy it, would probably tap out before the end of that. Yeah, and I will actually say I enjoyed this way more than I thought I would. I think that... The loop here is pretty good. I think that, you know, the whole idea of like, okay, we're on this long haul journey. We got to get from point A to point B. Yeah. And we got to make stops along the way to keep our fuel, keep our health, keep our ammo in good supply. I think the base loop of this game is pretty good. Uh, I I think there's there's good game design happening here. But I just wish that it was better implemented, especially the on-foot sections, which are just really simple, like almost painfully so. Like you can really just kind of cheese the AI of the characters by simply ducking. The shotgun ladies can't shoot you while you're ducking because, I mean, how on earth would you aim a shotgun down? That's impossible. They will walk up to you and try and hit you, you know, just try and like melee you if you're ducking. So then you can just punch them as they approach you. And the the big guys who kind of look like Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force will... Uh, they do look like Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. That's definitely true. So have a harder time hitting you while you're ducking. It has all the complexity of like one of those old Tiger LCD games, honestly. It's uh-huh. very simple. I do think there's some cool stuff happening here. Like I like the way the guy looks, you know, when he's, as you see him in your rearview mirror as you're driving. I think the driving sections are kind of fun, even though I I don't think they look all that great. You said you were having trouble looking at it. Unfortunately, my ability to judge this game is is a little limited, because the scrolling and the choppiness of the road sections made me feel like physically ill and I couldn't really play it for long enough to actually get to the on foot sections I have to admit so and and I don't think that 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 is not like a universal problem with this game but it was a problem I had with it so even though yeah from what I could play of it like the driving sections are, they're okay. They're not unfun, but they're pretty basic in a lot of ways. And definitely that 
motion sickness aspect, which isn't really, it's strange because I don't usually get motion sick from games at all. But in this case, I kind of did. Yeah, it is kind of funny because I feel like I'm more susceptible to that than you are usually, but it wasn't a problem for me here. But I can definitely see why it would have been that way because, yeah, like the textures of the desert feel like there's just a series of lines of like darker desert, lighter desert, darker desert, you know, and it's, it's just constantly in your case, literally nauseating sort of flashing of these textures that, um, yeah, it isn't great. I, this kind of thing can be done well. Like, I mean, like I said, sort of at the top of the segment, this is kind of similar to the way that like Top Gun works. It top gear, top gear, top gear, that the Top Gun doesn't work like that. Right. No, <laughs> uh, but this, this is kind of the way that Top Gear works. And I really like the way that effect works in that that game so mm-hmm. yeah i think it's just the choppiness of this and maybe maybe the specific way that like the graphics are put together for these like ruddy desert backgrounds that uh, just does something to me that i don't like i guess mode 7 would have been off the table for this one since it needed to come out on the genesis as well but if only yeah if they could have cleaned up the driving sections just a little bit to make it look less choppy and, and a little bit smoother the way top gear looks as, as much as i like the idea of what they're going with the transition between driving and on foot sections I think there could have been a better way of doing those on-foot sections to make the game a lot more exciting and dynamic. As I was playing, I was kind of thinking back to, like, Capcom's Gunsmoke. Mm, Yeah. And I was thinking, like, what if these sections were, like, top-down, vertically scrolling shooters like Gunsmoke was, but instead of, like, an old Western theme, it's just this post-apocalyptic desert theme instead. Yeah, I wonder if that would have been, like, simpler to make and also just more fun to play. something here. They made a Mad Max game around the time that Fury Road came out. They made like a modern, like open world Mad Max game, which I actually think is pretty good. And honestly, that game does effectively use a lot of the same core concepts for the loop here between like you're you know using your driving your car through the wasteland the car like running out of gas or or getting damaged and you needing to go into on foot sections and like scavenge for resources like that's a solid concept for a mad max game and they were they were definitely onto that here so like you know it can be done better it could have been done better at this point in time but i do admire them for for really kind of sitting down and like thinking through what would be a cool Mad Max game here instead of just because you could make a more generic action game than this like a much more generic action game than this out of that license it probably still wouldn't have been that fun but it also would have been less interesting I mean we've gone through a lot of pretty bland samey games in 1993 for the Super Nintendo and I will say that like both Super Ninja Boy and Outlander actually got me engaged a little bit more than a lot of the games that we've covered for this year have so far. So it is disappointing to be like probably ranking both of these pretty low in in the grand scheme of things, because I do think that Mm -hmm. both of them have some really great ideas. I think there is good game philosophy (laughs) happening here. Um, It's just not executed well. Yeah, uh, that's a shame, but uh, so it goes sometimes, unfortunately. So having said that, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add when talking about this game? Or do you want to jump over to the list and and find a a place for it? I think we can jump over to the list. This one's going to be hard because I guess, I mean, I did kind of enjoy my time with this one. Um, I just wish it, it, it 
did a little bit more. Well, t- talk to me about where you would start looking at a place for it on the list here. Because on the one hand, I could look at something like Prince of Persia at 88. Now, like, am I going to say that, like, this is a better game than Prince of Persia? I, I don't know if I could say that. But for me personally, I might go back to this before I'd go back to Prince of Persia. But but you know what? Okay. I would put this above Hyperzone right below that at 89. How do you feel about that? As an actual game to play, I think it's more interesting than Hyperzone. And I think that... You know, it uh, it is it is it is in its own way trying to do something different, which is a thing that I think we gave some points to Hyperzone for. Like we we definitely looked at that and we're like, you know what, this isn't great, but it is also uh, at least trying to do its own thing. So yeah, I, I think that's fair. And yeah, I mean, Prince of Persia. Uh, I think that's a game that I admire a lot for for how it sort of staked out a place, a very particular place for itself in. Uh, platform games, but also I, I don't think it's a very fun game to play. Uh, certainly the Super Nintendo version I don't think is a very fun game to play. So, yeah, I mean, even though this game made me kind of ill, I do think it was probably a more interesting time to play. A, a, a more interesting, I had a more interesting time playing it than I did with Prince of Persia. Saying is, if this is a better game than Prince of Persia is a very different thing than saying this is a better game than SNES Prince of Persia. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, and I think that gives us a little bit more leeway. Um, I also think that, you know, for, for with regards to the game above that, which is Wing Commander, you know, conceptually, I, I do enjoy Wing Commander a lot. And I think that the sort of on the fleet cruiser sections of Wing Commander, where you're just talking to people, are pretty good. But live, for being real, I find the ship parts, the actual combat parts of Wing Commander, basically unplayable. So yeah, at the very least on the Super Nintendo, yeah, not the best way of playing that. Yeah, on the Super Nintendo, yeah. Whereas Outlander feels much more tailor made for a console like the. Super NES and the Genesis. I mean, you can see things in it, which helps, you know? <laughs> like, it's not just... Right, right. ...dots against a, be- a black background. So, yeah. Um, Strike Gunner STG is one that, we, you know, I keep going back to. I, I enjoy how chill it is, but, I you know, it, it's definitely not doing a whole lot, but it's, it's probably more competently put together than outlander is just because yeah, outlander does have some yeah it gets very repetitive it has a lot of samey things to it that would probably make it a slog to play all the way through though i mean i don't know maybe strike Gunner stg has a similar problem it, we, i don't i don't remember how far we got in that one i'd probably give strike gunner stg the edge here personally okay you know i think that you know they're both games with like lots of kind of long sort of pretty samey content but i do think that i I liked i mean like as strike under stg played well and it did have like a very good power-up system so you know uh i i definitely could give it give it some points for the game design there if you're okay with it i would i would put this just below strike gunner stg i think i'm okay with that so this will be our new number 87 all right all right so congratulations outlander you are our new number 87 Two uh, two top 100 games so far today. All right. Can we go for a third? Let's see. Let's move on over to the wild, wild world of street combat. Yeah. Um, can we make it three? I, I'll i be honest. I don't think so. Oh, we'll talk about that. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either, but I was definitely I was definitely more positive on this game than you. I think it's fair to say. 
So let's talk first about what this game is, uh, and then we'll get into talk about whether that's a, in any way a good thing. Yeah, so this game is uh, was originally uh, a game based on the Ranma one-half manga, and I believe it was already an anime by the time this came out. Yeah, it was definitely already an anime. Like, the, the graphics for the... Uh, the, the the Japanese version of it definitely use all of the, like, the designs that are specifically, like, the anime designs. So, yeah. And uh, as luck would have it, I was actually on an episode of the podcast Play Comics talking about the Ranma game that actually came out as a Ranma game over here. But we went into a lot of detail about the Ranma franchise and things like that. So if you want to know more about Ranma one half, maybe go check out that Play Comics episode. Basically, this is a story about a... Um, a little middle schooler kid who's kind of a jerk and a martial artist and his dad, who's a huge jerk and also a martial artist. And they go training in China and they fall into cursed springs that turn them into different things when they get doused with cold water. Um, Ranma's dad turns into a panda and Ranma himself turns into a girl. Hilarity ensues after that. And there's hundreds of, hundreds of episodes of the show. There's a bunch of different women that all are in love with Ranma. It's a, a long-running shonen, shonen manga and anime. So and There are also some guys who are in love with Ranma. This is uh, it's a huge, huge media property. Uh, one of the works of Rumiko Takahashi, who is also responsible for uh, Yasure Yatsura and um, Inuyasha. Yes, that is the other one. So, you know, this giant, giant series. So, of course, there are games based on it, because it's a giant Japanese media property. And one of those games uh, was originally this one. Uh, and when they localized it for the U.S., they didn't just, you know, change the name. They didn't just kind of slightly fudge the graphics so that they're a little less recognizably those characters. Was happened with, you know, the, the infamous uh, NES game Dragon Power or whatever. No, what they did here is completely redo all of the sprite works, change the entire sort of mishigas of the whole game so that there's no Ranma in this. There's no anybody that looks anything even remotely like the original sprite work counterparts of this. Instead, we've got Steven... Uh, we got Steven, and he is a guy, a bit blonde guy with sunglasses and power armor, fighting a group of just some of the most poorly aesthetically designed uh, villains that I've ever seen in anything. You know, you got Tyrone, you've got Dozo the Clown, you've got... Helmut, which is a robot guy on a hoverboard. The final villain of this, the guy you fight at the end, is is um he his name's CJ, and he literally he just looks like Daredevil, like he just looks like Daredevil. And uh, yeah, uh, that's that's what this game is. It's it's a fighting game where you kind of make your way through all these people as one of two different versions of Steven. You have the option to play as either one, but there's also a versus mode, of course, where you can play as anybody. If this sounds familiar, it should, because it's what, you know, like two thirds of the fighting games on the Super Nintendo have been so far. Right. And uh, it's not it's not great i'm not gonna say it's great 
the sprite work in this game, in this version of the game, is <laughs> it is atrocious. Really bad. <laughs> it's terrible. But honestly, even if we still had the Ranma characters, I don't know if I think this is a good game, even if they hadn't done that. Like, the UI of this game is almost non-existent. Like, yeah. there are still websites up right now that think you have to enter a special code to select different characters. Uh-huh. You don't. They just didn't bother implementing a proper character select screen. You just have to hit L and R on the versus screen to choose your character. That's weird and kind of lazy, if we're being frank, because, like, I don't think I can think of a single fighting game that's been on the system so far that didn't just have a character select screen yeah. if you did, in fact, have the option to select your character. I don't think the mechanics of this game are all that great. This is a three-button fighter, basically, and one of those buttons is jump. Special moves are wonky. Hit detection isn't all that great. I think all around, this is a pretty poor game, and it, honestly, like I think this is one of the roughest fighting games we've played on the system, which is saying something, because we've played some pretty lackluster ones. Here's the thing. I don't disagree with any of the stuff you've just said, but I do think this game is for, for well for one thing, I actually do think that this game's controls are more fun to use than some of the fighting games we've played on the system so far. Like I think that there's like a better feel to, you know, moving and the different combinations, like the various various attacks that you can do feel not good but better than some games. And also, I think that this localization is so incredibly that this this complete revamping of the game is so incredibly bad that I find it I find it hilarious. Like I, there are not that many games that I can say are genuinely like a so bad it's good sort of thing. But like I think this game kind of gets there because of just how awful all of the choices made in in redoing this game to strip out all of the the original license are steven looks like a paper doll uh he has the worst lines after the fights are over and all of the characters just suck so much they just suck so much they are really bad looking like there's a guy named gi jim who's a military guy, like he's kind of got guile here, so you sort of see what's going on, but also he has a sword. Why does the military guy have a sword? And like, this was one of the ones where I think they had absolutely no luck in what they decided to do with reskinning the original character. Because the original character is, of, of course, a guy with a sword. And he also, at the end of the fights with him, uh, he like breaks down on the floor and cries. Right. Which I think probably made sense for, I don't know the Ranma property very well, but I assume that makes sense for that character in in the original game. Yes, yeah. But like with this it's this this military guy that basically just yeah, he looks like a a bad rip off of Guile. And yeah, the between him having the sword and him still doing that animation when he loses, just a, a just a giant bundle of non sequiturs and sight of a, a guy crying is is not intrinsically funny. Like people can cry, it's fine. Uh be in touch with your emotions, it's good. But like in this case it's like, what are what were they even trying to do here? Like, what was the goal here? With was there a goal with choosing choosing these things to put together in this in this situation? Because I don't see them. I just don't. A lot of these designs are just so unappealing. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I know there were some pretty wild, you know, like hey, edgy out there designs in the '90s that were you know like going for a, a, a 
specific style, but like this just feels like they went so far past that that it, we're, we're just in complete ugly territory. Like, yeah, none of this looks stylized in a cool way. It all just looks amateurish to just downright ugly. Like what I will, what I will say about this is that I don't really think anybody should play this game like at all. Like there's nothing worth doing here, but I do think that you should go out and watch the long play of this. That's on YouTube. It's about 15 minutes long. Yeah. It won't take long. <laughs> and it's, it's very funny because of just how, how grossly just inept all of these redesigns look. And and also, of course, watch a little bit of footage of the Ranma game just to give you context. Because, like, the, the thing is that the Ranma game has really good sprite art. It's full of character. Everyone has, like, very different animations from each other. It It is honestly a good-looking game. And then they turned it into this. I wonder if they just didn't have enough time to, like, animate as many frames for each of the characters with these new designs as they had for the original Ranma sprites. Because they didn't, they did not animate as many frames here, and it certainly does not help anything. Yeah, but uh, I would say, like, if you are a Ranma fan, see if you can figure out who all these characters were supposed to be. I bet you will never guess some of them. No. (laughs) Number six will shock you. Yeah, so do we want to go to the list? Yeah, let's go to the list. Even though I had fun with this game, I don't think that I'm going to stump that hard for it to go, like, particularly high on the list. But but yes, I did think this was a more fun game to play than some of our bottom-ranked fighters. So what do you say we start there? Okay, okay. Uh, give, give me one to start with. Like, Doomsday Warrior? Are we talking Doomsday Warrior at 111? Doomsday Warrior, I, I found just absolutely miserable in a lot of ways. I mean, at least Doomsday Warrior had, I mean, they're not good character designs, but they're probably better than this game. Yeah, I, I would say that this game was more fun to play than Doomsday Warriors. I will not give you that the characters are, that the Doomsday Warrior characters are worse than these. No. Um, I mean, like, come on, you had New Metal, come on. New Metal, you had Dizzin Lizard. Got that Dizzin Lizard. Um, I loved him. Diz Liz. It's probably an even split, I guess, but yeah. <laughs> so I think then what we are saying is we are talking between Doomsday Warrior at 111 and Power Moves at 99, because there's no way this goes above Power Moves, right? No, it doesn't go above Power Moves. Honestly, it, it, it probably doesn't go above Fatal Fury, if I'm being honest. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Fatal Fury. Yeah, Fatal Fury is better than this, of course it is, but yeah. So I guess we're going to narrow it down even further. We got Fatal Fury at number 105, so that's a new ceiling. I would say this is probably... Well, you know, I was going to say maybe James Bond Jr. could be a new floor, but I'll be honest, I don't think this is better than Extra Innings at 109. Uh, yeah, I, I think that I, just for just for pure, the pure reason that I find it a more amusingly bad game, I may put it above Super Strike Eagle, but that's as high as I would be willing to go with it, really. Um, I think I'm okay with that. I don't even remember what Super Strike Eagle was. Um, oh, that was the... Um, Airplane. Yeah. That that basically was like SNES Top Gun, I guess. It was basically SNES Top Gun. So um, I do think that 
both just in terms of me liking this genre better than Super Strike Eagle's genre, and also because I do think that it's the poor effort put in here makes it a more amusing game, I'd probably put this above Super Strike Eagle. So our new 110? Our new 110, Street Combat. Congratulations, I guess. Street Combat 110. Yeah, you did it. You're... Not at the bottom of the list. None of these games were amazing today. They were all pretty interesting, though. I think we got more enjoyment out of some of these than we have for a lot of games that we've covered in 93 so far. I think that's definitely true. Yeah, I'll remember these games at least. So Emmy will remember that. <laughs> well, uh, I guess that is going to do it for today. So we ought to probably go check and see what's going to happen in the next one. Yep. Uh, what do we have coming up next time? What's uh, what's coming down the old game pipe for us? Always good to, to take care of your game pipes. Sleeve, leave the game running just a little drip when it gets really cold out to make sure that your game pipes don't freeze. All right, so we've only got a couple episodes left for April of 1993, so we're actually going to be moving some things around just a little bit in order to kind of uh, have another theme for next week. Next week, we're going to be going to the movies. All right. Uh, I'm excited. I haven't been to the movies in like a year, so, you know. Can't imagine why. Uh, yeah, weird, right? <laughs> so we're going to be talking about The Terminator toys and wayne's world oh boy i can't wait for that one sure these are all gonna be great great classics uh we've got you know the, the terminator i mean everybody knows what the terminator is uh toys the the classic robin williams film that everyone loves everyone loves it uh, top 10 lists every time it gets mentioned. So, uh, and of course, Wayne's World, uh, the beloved movie, yeah. I'm sure makes an equally beloved game. Yeah, Saturday Night Live movies are always great, always stand the test of time, never problematic in hindsight. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, uh, that is going to do it for us for today. Um, we'll be talking about movie games next week. And the week after that, we're going to finish off April with Tom and Jerry and the Lost Vikings, which is going to be really, really good, I would bet. And and that's why we're saving it for last, because, you know, hey, save the best for last. So join us next time, folks, as we uh, as we go to the movies, as we dig back into uh, the, the rich, rich world of licensed gaming on the Super Nintendo. And uh, until next time, uh, I'm Emmy Zero. I'm Steampunk Link. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoax, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoax.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. Hey, what does this game have in common with Maxwell Smart's partner? Both 99. There's a, there's a little joke for all you Nick at Night <laughs> fans out there. Uh... I haven't seen an episode of Get Smart in a long time. Uh, just watch Inspector Gadget. It's basically the same thing, but better. Pretty much, yeah. Here's what I'll say about Wayne's World. At least, unlike, say, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, it does not hinge its entire plot on an extended transphobic joke. So, hey. I was thinking along those lines, but I was thinking it's Pat. <laughs>
Because that was the the other Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Woof. Uh, it's Pat is real rough. I forgot that one existed actually, but uh, I remember it now. You're welcome. <laughs>